Global Business News 24 hours a day at Bloomberg.com, the Radio Plus mobile app, and on your radio. This is a Bloomberg Business Flash. And I'm Karen Moscow. This update's brought to you by Eisner Amper. When entrepreneurs face challenges like choosing a business structure or access to capital, they call the accountants and advisors at Eisner Amper. Connect with them at EisnerAmper.com slash tech. Valiant Pharmaceuticals International will add three new board members, including a representative from one of the drug makers' biggest investors, and expand the panel to 14 directors from 12. BMW reporting a 5.2% gain in profit last year on higher vehicle deliveries as the world World's largest maker of luxury cars pushes to stay ahead of Mercedes-Benz. U.S. stock index futures higher. We check the markets every 15 minutes throughout the trading day on Bloomberg. S&P E-mini futures up 8 points. Dow E-mini futures up 69. And NASDAQ E-mini futures up 16. DAX in Germany's up 1.2%. Ten-year treasury down 14.30 seconds. The yield 1.87%. NYMEX crude oil up 1.4% or 51 cents to 37.01 a barrel. COMEX gold down 7 tenths percent or $8.50. 50 cents to 1254.50 an ounce. The euro, $1.0952. The N112.80. That's a Bloomberg Business Flash. Tom and Mike. Karen, uh, thank you so much. Good morning, everyone. It is 848 on Wall Street. The following is from Bloomberg View. Opinions and commentary from Bloomberg columnists. I'm Megan McArdle, a columnist for Bloomberg View. For all the recent chatter, Donald Trump's unlikely to run as a third-party candidate, even if he's denied the Republican nomination. The reason's simple. He can't afford it. According to Trump's personal financial disclosure form, he had about $300 million in cash and marketable securities. That's a lot of money, yet not enough to run a major presidential campaign, which now clocks in at around $1 billion. And to be competitive in the general, he would have to spend something close to that amount, because once it's down to two or three candidates, the media is going to make sure the other folks get as much airtime as he does. Nor can he do without little things like campaign staff and a get-out-the-vote operation. He could maybe mortgage some of his interests, borrowing a billion dollars to fund a campaign. But this seems unlikely. For one thing, by the most generous non-Trump estimates of his net worth, that would mean mortgaging about a quarter of his assets for a near certain loss. Even if he was mad enough to try, are bankers insane enough to help him? As known expert Donald Trump once noted, these lenders aren't babies. These are total killers. They're not nice, sweet little people that you'd think. One suspects they might, in the end, be the ones who kill any hope of a third-party campaign. I'm Megan McArdle. For more View, please go to BloombergView.com or View Go on the Bloomberg Terminal. This has been Bloomberg View. And Bloomberg View commentary can be heard hourly weekdays. And Bloomberg Radio. Mike Brexit. Draghi. Draghi oh, so Brexit. Well, for a lot of people uh, who are not uh, as concerned with politics as they are with uh, the financial markets, tomorrow is the big day. The big day. Mario Draghi and his colleagues at the European Central Bank get together and decide what they are going to do. Lena Komaleva is chief economist at G Plus Economics, and she joins us now with her forecast. Lena, the most interesting note to me this morning was somebody – writing that they had noted how many people were thinking that Mario Draghi would have a very hard time living up to the market's expectations for what he can do tomorrow. What do you think he will do, and is it going to be enough? Um, hi, Mike. Tom, it's great to be with you. Um, 
I think, um, yes, it is true that it, it is a, a uphill struggle, I think, at this point for any central banker out there to face up to a fairly agnostic and increasingly sceptical market with respect to the power of central banks to reflate the global economy. Um, but specifically to your question for tomorrow, there are three choices, really, more QE, more negative interest rates, or what I call helicopter money, which is basically reviving the old Veltro, very long-term operations, merging them with the Teltros, the targeted long-term operations, and ultimately coming up with the what I call the Ultros, which is the targeted long, very long-term um, operations. In other words, creating something very close to helicopter money without trying to yeah. the apple cart in terms of political attitudes. Thank you. You lost me with the alphabet soup. Define helicopter <laughs> money. Help me with the Sikorsky approach. What does helicopter money actually mean? Well, Tom, helicopter money is basically the equivalent of QE, but without central banks actually having to burden themselves with the hard choices of deciding what assets or how much assets to buy. In other words, just distributing, creating money to, di- to be distributed in the private sector. Um, and uh, as we know, the ECB has been running against some, some critical technical constraints, in particular the fact that um, they're lifting so much inventory out of the market in terms of government bonds that they are creating some supply shop bottlenecks because uh, austerity in the eurozone means the governments are not printing. Oh, sorry, they're not, <laughs> they're not, lend, they're not borrowing as much money from the markets. They're not printing as many securities, <laughs> another form of money. So, in other words, um, if uh, the Mario Draghi is now facing the constraints of how much bonds and how quickly he can buy these bonds and can get them off banks' balance sheets and replace them with cash, which then and hopefully find its way into the real economy. Well, another way to go about that is to actually subsidize banks that are just taking cash in order to, to create credit. I think, Tom, if I may just take a step back from this, I think what we have to remember here, while there's just this enormous discussion about what the ECB might announce tomorrow, the art of central banking um, is about convincing the private sector that whatever it announces, it will lift inflation expectations, it will reflate the real economy by creating the risk incentives for lenders to generate credit. And so it is very much about convincing the markets that whatever Mm. it comes, it will be enough, as opposed to the technicalities Mm. of what comes. Well, that's the question I was posing at the beginning. Is he going to be able to convince the markets? Because so far, um, inflation expectations aren't rising. The economy is muddling along. It hasn't collapsed, but that's hardly the benchmark people are looking for. Absolutely, Mike. I mean, this is the trouble with the ECB is that they've had this very unfavorable optics of an expanding balance sheet, yet a strengthening euro and uh, a falling inflation expectation since the start of the year. I think that there are two forces that are really bigger than the ECB in play here. First, central banks are no longer in charge of market conditions. It is, as you and Tom have often said in your program, it is capital flows that are driving um, capital uh, allocation by investors, which are driven by credit quality concerns as opposed to the fundamental policy liquidity and rate differentials um, as the key market driver in the markets this year. And so the result is that neither bank stocks nor general stock market volatilities, nor exchange rates, in this case the euro, so the three core transmission channels for central banks' um, record low interest rates and quantitative easing have conformed to what the ECB expected that it will happen since the launch of QE. And the other big issue here is that, you know, if we look at what the ECB or the Fed, for that matter, are facing in the next week, when you look at the market conditions from 1,000 feet up in the air, it is the the oversupply of liquidity as opposed to fundamental shifts in the real economic prospects that are increasingly behind 
financial valuations. And this, in some cases, particularly in the case of government bonds, is leading to significant temporary pricing imbalances, both to the upside and to the downside for yields. So in other words, too much liquidity in the market, crowded in by negative rates, by emerging market corporate default fears, by volatile stocks, by negative market correlations, all of that creates this market illiquidity and dislocation. And this in turn creates this new types of behavioral and liquidity risks in periods of market stress, which diminishes investor confidence in the strength of central banks to actually dictate the very financial conditions that determine their transmission mechanism into the real economy. When I look, Lena, at what to listen for tomorrow at 8.30, what will be the tone that you'll want to see? Is it deflation, disinflation talk? Does he dare even mention Brexit? I mean, I can't fathom that. Let's carny skirted around it earlier this week. What will you listen for? Well, I, I'm hoping that we will hear a central banker that faces up to the challenges of today, and that is that the Eurozone economy is in the heart of, a, of, of global turbulence of you know, geoeconomic and political and you know, geofinancial forces that are a danger to um, Eurozone inflation stability, but also very much a danger to uh, Eurozone growth and, and, and financial stability going forward. And so I think that Mario Draghi does have to convince the markets that he has the power to deliver whatever it takes, uh, which is really what the market started to question since the political position to more QE uh, back in December. The ECB has gone some way to rectify that, of course, through the announcement of extension of QE uh, in January. But it's clear it hasn't been enough. So what will it be enough? And um, how confident really – I think the key thing, Tom, is whether Draghi says that he's confident that the ECB will reach its inflation target over the medium term uh, and what that medium term actually means. Lena Kamaleva, thank you so much. Greatly appreciate it. As we go, nice briefing as we go to Mr. Draghi tomorrow. Um, also, Mr. Draghi tomorrow, folks, this is a place to be. Mike McKee and I had the advantage of our European – economics and government team, particularly the economic folks led by Marty Schenker. And uh, it, it's real simple. The headlines start coming out and they have value, particularly that Michael McKee can interpret them for you far better and more rapidly than I can. What will you look for, Mike? Well, the first thing at 745, we'll have uh, the details of the announcement on interest rates. And we'll look to the deposit rate and see if they cut that further into negative territory. Somebody suggested yesterday they could even go to zero or negative on the refi rate, the main benchmark rate. That would be interesting. Uh, and then we'll go from there, uh, 830, Mario Draghi, and whether or not he goes m- into more negative rates, whether he does more QE or, as Lena says, figures out a way to do helicopter money. Yeah. I, I, it's, it's not, is, is any of this in the textbooks? I really don't think it's so. It's in the text. It's in the theory part, in the chapter on theories that are unprovened. I like um, that. I didn't. Re- I missed that chapter. Yeah, um, we'll see. <clears throat> Mario Draghi uh, tomorrow with our coverage worldwide, and we will dip into that conference as we are wont to do. We will give you the actual color of it as the uh, Mr. Draghi speaks. Uh, green on the screen. Futures up seven. The ten-year yield moves a good five basis points, one point eight eight percent. This is Bloomberg surveillance. <laughs> 